one. Hey, welcome back to the episode of the Five Tool Podcast. I'm Dustin McComas, joined once again as always by Drew Bishop and happily joined by a special guest today, our first scout to make an appearance on the Five Tool Podcast, a guy that Drew and I go way, way, way back with uh, the days of, of Eric Weiss at Texas, watching some Eric Weiss at bats at Texas was the first time I met this guy, but Trevor Haley, uh, regional supervisor for the Pittsburgh Pirates, kind enough to take time out of his busy schedule to join us. And uh, I'm really excited about this, Trevor, because we're going to break the news. You're going to share with us who the Pirates are selecting number one overall in the upcoming draft. The floor is yours. <laughs> Silence. This thing on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he said it we just missed it, it yeah of... oh well okay it just it got beeped out or something like that. but i'm sure that's the first time you've ever been asked that question so i'm just we're just kind of getting you ready for the next couple of weeks when it might come up a time or two yeah i was uh first of all thank you guys for having me um excited to join you i've known known you guys a long time since the uh the old texas days um yeah. but uh yeah we just came from the combine and that was uh certainly a <laughs> the question that many in the industry, every time they walked by, asked who we were taking. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been a, a running running joke. Yeah has, has has the decision been made? To my I I do not know. Yeah. I do not know. Okay. Well, we'll 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 see if any news breaks before before we get out here. But uh, Trevor, we we we'll talk about the combine and a bunch of other stuff too. But um, knowing you and your background, I, I think it's a really interesting background. Um, you know how you got into baseball, how you got into scouting. So, um, kind of take us through that. Um, you know, spent some time at Marquette on the on the law side as well. I believe you got your foot in the door on the operations side. I think with the Rockies and then the area scout and kind of working your way up from there. So uh, just, just share with people, um, you know, kind of your background and, and, and why you took this path and how you got into baseball. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to your point. Um, well, went to law school at Marquette before that I played at a small college in Indiana, uh, Manchester college, now Manchester university um, coached at another small college, Franklin college uh, in Indiana as well. Um, then went to law school, um, you know, enrolled in the sports law program at Marquette, uh, got my law degree there and got a job in baseball operations as an intern with the Rockies. Um, coming out of that, uh, they sent me to scout school and kind of found my way into scouting and, and into being an area scout uh, for a year in Kentucky, uh, Indiana, Ohio, and Tennessee. Um then moved down to Texas where I met you guys, uh, did the area down there for five years, I want to say, mm -hmm. um, moved back up and eventually became in the, uh, you know, got in the position I'm in now, which is supervising, uh, the Midwest region, um, on the amateur side. Yeah. And, and you, uh, kind of a unique, a unique start on the area side. So like you get, thrown in there with the pirates and it's the Pedro Alvarez year. And then I think shortly after that is, is Jamison Tyon in Texas. So that's kind of a unique to, you know, to have those, those high profile, you know, first round guys, um, you know, for an area scout early on. Yeah, it was, it was really kind of trial by drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure, no um, pressure. Yeah, no question. Um, but yeah, you learn a lot going through those processes um, about, you know, the thoroughness of the work and the detail and um, just all that goes into this process. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but it is a, you know, it's a 365 day a year process, it, it, you know, just because the draft is happening July 9th, 10th and 11th, um, you know, we'll doesn't mean that the work hat didn't start you know literally the day after and i'm saying literally the day after <laughs> the 2022 draft ended you know we're our guys are on a plane that next morning to tampa for um very, you know tampa for various workouts other places for various workouts to literally start the work um on the next class and not that i mean we're you know we've already started the work on the 2024 class um, we've got guys right now at uh, at Team USA and PDP, 
some of those events. So, um, you know, it is a continuous, it is a continuous process that, um, and look, you never have perfect information. Like in this business, we never have perfect information just because the draft is July, you know, July 9th doesn't mean that we're not, you know, that the information stops. Like these players are continually writing their story. I like to say they're, they're a living document, mm. um, continually writing their story. They're continually evolving. Um, and, you know, it just so happens that the, the deadline is July the 9th, but, um, you know, nothing, it, ne- it never stops. Like the players never stop growing, evolving, changing, um, the information coming across never, um, really stops. So, um, that aspect of it keeps it, keeps it always, uh, very vibrant and, and, um, complex and dynamic. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that that's a good, that piggybacks off of a question that I had for you that I think would be interesting to the people listening. Um, you know, everyone deals with academic calendars, the calendar year, fiscal calendars, walk us through what what a calendar year looks for looks like for a scout right so i mean obviously like you said kind of starts for next year as soon as the draft is done right you've obviously been doing some groundwork prior to that but for for a yearly basis what what does the schedule look like for you guys on the scouting side yeah on the scouting side um you know again it it starts literally the day after we finished the draft. Um, and again, you know, with the new draft calendar that now that they've moved the draft to July from June, we even start a little bit earlier um, because, you know, Team USA, the Cape, um, some of those things are going on. Um, so we'll start on that class. But the calendar, you know, it, it, dating back to, you know, when the draft was in June has always been um, – we spend the summer at various showcases, um, you know, anything from the area code games on the high school side to, you know, going to five tool events. I remember seeing you at a five tool event last year leading up to the draft mm-hmm. um, to Team USA to the Cape. Um, so you start compiling the follow reports uh, the summer before, you know, a lot of times the summer before their senior year in high school or the summer before their junior year um, in college, if they're not sophomore eligible. Um, And we start following them. We start writing follow reports. And um, then as we transition into the off season, uh, a lot of it is information gathering, um, doing player interviews, um, you know, doing some background stuff, trying to make sure that we um, know the player, and know as much as we can about them. And again, like that process never stops. Like just because it's, you know, July the 9th doesn't mean we wouldn't want to know more about a, a given player right. or learn more about a given player. It just so happens that's the deadline where, you know, mm-hmm. pencils down, the test is time to take yeah. it. <laughs> Get aside. Um, yes, exactly. Um, and then moving into the springtime, now it's, it's go time. Like, um, Junior colleges will start playing in January and start scouting them. And then the four years start up um, and the various, you know, depending on the geographic location, uh, the high schools will start up. Um, now that the draft has been moved back to July, again, some of that has been kind of conflated. Um, and, you know, you're doing, you're kind of existing in two classes now. And I think that we were moving in that direction um, a while back and, and it kind of coincides with, um, you know, the, the new NCAA rules and how the colleges are now operating. And, you know, they're no longer allowed to um, really commit players and talk to players as young as they as they were. So, um, you know, I think the I think that the calendar has kind of evolved and shifted um, over time and we're still kind of working through you know, this, this July draft thing and the best way um, to handle that time that, you know, typically we would have been, we would have already done the draft, you know, back in the day, like three, four years ago. And, you know, now just kind of trying, still trying to sort through the best way to, to spend that time. 
Yeah, you know, speaking of that process, I, I think a lot of people that might not just have intricate knowledge of scouting and, and the job and what goes into it and stuff like that might just think, oh, these guys just go show up to a bunch of baseball games. But, you know, how critical is that component of the groundwork and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what makes these guys tick and what kind of people they are and and all that sort of stuff like yeah, the going to the games part is fun. Like, you know, but it's also you you do this long enough, you the tools stand out, the talent sticks out. But but how critical is it to to have that period to lay that groundwork and, and really try to figure out who these guys are as as people in addition to, you know, the tools and the talent and what they are now and what they could become as players from that perspective? Yeah, I think it's everything. Um, because to your point, you're not just investing in a talent you're not investing in something you can uh that's an inanimate object like that's just a, a talent you're investing in a person um and pouring into a person in the development system and um hopefully that that as that growth process happens um eventually becomes a major leaguer um but a lot more goes into that than just what you see on a baseball field um a lot more goes into that is in terms of what their makeup is, what their character is, what they're ready for, um, and having that 360-degree view of the of not just the player but also the person. Um, it's critical. It's it's everything. Uh, I think I shared with you guys a little bit before we started recording. We just got I just got back from the combine, and mm -hmm. one of the great parts of that process is being able to get in front of that number of players and spend time with them and let them tell you know hear from their own voices um let them tell their story and um that part's awesome like it's 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 awesome to you know get in front of them and let them let them you know let us ask them questions and then ask us questions and and um you know, again, hear their story and, and hear where they're from and hear about them. And, and, you know, they're, again, they're much more than just what you see on a baseball field, um, you know, at a tournament or a game or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, so saying that, um, you know, we, we talk to kids a lot of times that are, that are looking for, uh, looking to go to college, right. You know, that's, that's our, um, arena more so than the pro guys, but, you know, there's a lot of similarities. And one of the things that we try to impress upon these kids is that, hey, like, there's always people watching you, right? Whether it's scouts, whether it's parents, whether it's college coaches or whatever. Explain a little bit, like, how deep do you go um, on kids? Like, what type of people are you trying to track down information for? Because I know, you know, not, not every organization does the same amount of homework, but the ones that do, I mean, you, you find that these guys talking to teachers or people at their high school or, you know, going pretty far back in the in a kid's timeline just to kind of because like you said, it's an investment. You're investing in the person and knowing that kind of information is important. So talk a little bit about like, you know, how you go about trying to find, you know, find out this kind of information from, you know, outside of the obvious people that you think they would talk that you guys would talk to with coaches and, you know, and, and, and other teammates and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it depends. I think it varies from player to player because no two people are exactly the same and everybody has their own, you know, unique story and who that may be, who may be, um, you know, have an insight into one player's life, whether it be a teacher or a coach or a, high school principal may not have that same insight into another player's life. So I think you're more than anything, you're just trying to, you know, see where one clue leads, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. yeah. you talk to somebody and they mention something about, you know, where they train physically and how much time they spend there. And then you go talk to that trainer and they mention something about, Oh, he actually has a lot of interests. Um, in another venue or, or, you know, outside of sports or outside of baseball, maybe another sport. And then you go talk to the, you know, that coach or that person in their life. So you just kind of see where the clues lead. And, uh, 
and you're just trying to paint a picture of the player. You're trying to paint a picture of the person. Um, and again, it, it may be different for one player than the other, but the consistent theme is we want to have we want to have an idea of you know paint the picture like who is this player, who is this person, um, and then again at the end you know having that combine interview um, or the interview at the end, whether it be the combine or somewhere else, was just an awesome chance to kind of capstone that and hear it from the player's perspective and maybe answer some questions that you know have come up over time like hey you know tell me about this i heard about um x y or z thing that you know happened when you were playing football or basketball or you actually like the music a lot and again it could be any number of things but to be able to hear it from hear hear them be able to tell their story in their own voice is, is awesome at the end yeah, and, and one example comes to mind for me. So I, I had the fortunate opportunity because of you to to go to scout school with with the Pirates down in Bradenton, and um, you know we were just kind of talking through players with so some of the guys there in our reports and things like that. And the name Josh Harrison came up, and for me it was my first example of like why that stuff really matters um, because they were using the example of hey, you know what, this guy might not have had the the gaudy high end tools and the grades and everything else. But his personality and his work ethic and who he was as a person allowed him to get to these tools and get the most out of what he has. Like, I mean, is, is that marriage just critical between I'm sure you see it all the time, like guys that get in the pro ball and they might have these, you know, the report might just sing with these, oh, this future this and future that. But sometimes those guys just don't quite get to it. Whereas there's those other guys, the Josh Harrison types of the world and things like that, where they may not have a bunch of sixes on the, on the future tools, but when you start reading that makeup report and when you start talking to the person and feel, you know, see what they ticks, like those are the guys you want to bet on because they can get the most out of what they have. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit on a couple of things there. Um, number one would be, you know, a guy like Josh Harrison. Um, I scouted him when he was at the university of Cincinnati uh, in 2008. Um, and a guy like him, like development doesn't happen linear. Like it doesn't happen like this. It is yeah. a bunch of little choppy, you know, you look at, you look back at, um, you look back at players from last year. If you look back at prospect lists of Jackson holiday from the summer going into his senior year, you know, he doesn't appear you know, certainly not in like the top 20, maybe not even the top 50. Um, but he developed, you know, he developed quickly. Um, and you know, what goes into that development, like into your point about a guy like a a Josh Harrison, he showed up every day with energy and, and, and showed up to compete and play with energy and personality. And that's a hard thing to do 162 games in a year or 140 games uh, in the minor leagues um, or sitting on a backfield, um, you know, in Florida or, or Arizona to show up with that energy and to bring what you do have every single day to your point. It may not look at it on a scouts card. It may not be a six, but it may play like a six because you show up every day with um, and you show up, you know, with that energy and being a good teammate and, providing um you know those intangibles that that you know whether it be on a baseball field or or in an office environment there are just certain people that that add value to the add value to the environment that they're in and you know i think he's probably an example of one of those types of guys yeah well okay so i i want to know you know like you keep talking about the intangibles obviously this piggybacks off of what dustin at asked but you know it's it's frustrating for some for us to go to some games you know knowing that we're not going to get to see all the guys that we see over and over and over right sometimes you're only going to get a few small looks to see if you want to continue to follow up on somebody and you know it drives me nuts when you get a kid that doesn't run out of ground ball or, you know, something along those lines that doesn't allow somebody there watching them 
to leave the ballpark with an, an, an actual idea of what they can do in some facet of the game. Right. So, you know, obviously scouts are all going to look for tools, you know, without that, you're not going to continue to progress in the game. Right. Um, the level of tools obviously is dependent on what level a coach or a scout is looking for. But when you show up to a ballpark, what are the things that you are looking for that might not be the obvious? Yeah. He throws 95 hits home run, however many times a game, you know, stuff like that. But what, what kind of stuff do you look for to, to be able to engage those, to, to gauge those intangibles and see if there's someone that the pirates are going to want to draft? Yeah. I, I, you look for a lot of different things. I don't think that there's anything that you're just sitting there going, well, I've got to check this box. I mean, it's certainly the on-the-field stuff. Yeah, you're paying attention to that. Um, but there's nothing, you know, I don't walk into a park thinking I've got to check this box. I've got to walk out and know exactly what this player's makeup is off of my one look in, you know, late June. Um, you know, you just pay attention to, to what, what the player shows you and what that may be um, on a given day. Now, I think the second part of that is getting into the questions you asked before about, um, you know, information gathering is you can't also be too quick to judge a player that off of one day watching them from a distance from a park because you don't know what is going on in that player's life. You don't know mm -hmm. what the circumstances are. You don't know what the context is. Um, so then it becomes critical to follow up afterwards and, get a better idea of what that what that context is and, and who the player is and hear other voices and you know see if it kind of confirms and lines up with what your impressions were. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. Um but like, you know, to your point about running out of ground ball. Yeah, I'd love every player to run out of ground ball. It doesn't always happen. Yeah. Um but you gotta you can't be too quick to to um too quick to you know judge people or judge a player as as a whole off of that one instance if that makes sense sure so yeah as much as anything it becomes about you know again getting that 360 degree view of the player and hearing other people um you know describe whether you know what you're seeing is consistent with with who the player usually is yeah. Right. And, you know, you being a regional supervisor, you know, for people out there that aren't totally familiar with kind of this, this, this scouting organization, you know, you have your area scouts who are in charge of a specific area. And then there's kind of a bunch of those spread out. And then you have your, your regional supervisors who are in kind of a charge of, of multiple areas and kind of going through and, and getting pointed to the kind of more of the hiring guys and things like that. But um, you know, one thing you and I have, have talked about in the past is it, it feels like, you know, what scouts are kind of looking for right now is is always kind of changing. You know, we've you know, the pitching side, you know, like like the guys sometimes that are hyper specialized and have spent three years in a pitching lab and, and all that sort of thing compared to the, you know, the A.J. Smith shoppers of the world who kind of picked up a ball in, in junior of their high school year and started throwing 92 with a knuckleball. And all of a sudden he's, in, he's in the big leagues already. Like, what do you guys, you know, what do you tend to, to value a little bit more with, with this game now, the way the game is with, you know, the velocity here and, and, um, and, and power here. And um, you know, what, what kind of matters to you guys the most, when you're kind of assessing, you know, the prospect status and, and what translates translates to baseball now. Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough question to answer. Like in a general sense, for I'm not I can't answer for the industry. <laughs> I guess yeah, I can answer yeah. for for everybody else, but I can't answer for myself on a couple of different fronts. There. Um, First of all, I, I think that what we look for, I don't think that necessarily changes. Like as you walk into a baseball field and you look at a player, I, I think that scouting is still scouting. You're looking for, um, you know, tools, talent, and they, you know, you're projecting. You're looking in your mind's eye and seeing, you know, what this player could become um, 
in the right development environment. Um, and certainly makeup is for the previous questions that plays a part in that. But I, I don't think that's changed. Um, I think how we describe it has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that how we measure it uh, metrically has definitely changed. Um, but I don't think the fundamental process of walking in and, and looking at a player and evaluating them and looking again into that projection piece, um, that's, that's everything. Like that's scouting. And I don't believe that's changed. I, and I, again, I think how we describe it, uh, how we measure it, um, the tools that we have in order to kind of check ourselves as we go, those have all changed. And that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, to the question of specialization, that's one of the things that certainly I'm big on um, is not wanting guys and, you know, brought it up before linear development's not linear. Mm-hmm. Like development is not linear. And I think the more you can um, not specialize um, in, you know, one aspect of baseball or even that sport, the example I always go back to is, uh, not even in baseball, but is Steve Nash. You know, Steve Nash, the basketball player. He was a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Right. And what is soccer? What do you do? Like it's short burst dynamic movements in a small space. Like short burst footwork, dynamic movements in a small space. And how did he exist in the NBA? He was short burst dynamic movements inside the paint, passing the ball. Like it was a different sport, same movements, different sport and and, you know, completely different sport in a different setting, um, but it all transferred. And, you know, I think the a lot of the players that um, that I think we see make those quick jumps don't specialize in, um, in a sport early, and whether it be baseball or something else. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I... I I don't know if that completely answers your question. No, we we always we always tell the parents we we bang on the desk like multi sport is okay. Like it it is it's probably better than okay. Like like I've never met a college coach, a scout, whomever that is like, oh no, I, I want the guy that just played baseball for 15 years and, and just dedicated himself to that and that only because sometimes parents get in their head like, oh, in order to get recruited, he's got a He's got to go play in every single event in the fall and the spring and the summer and go to this workout and this showcase and things like that. It's like, no, 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 actually kind of the contrary. Like it's, it's good to go compete and go be an athlete in these different arenas. So you can, you know, kind of train your body that way. Like whether it's, you know, whether it's basketball, whether it's football, whether there's, there's some guys that run track and do high jumps and things like that. Like, like those are the guys that that you know tend to be more interesting when you're projecting and dreaming, as you said. Absolutely, and I, it is all about projection and um, certainly athleticism. And that the earlier, the more, again, the more transferable um, or dynamic you can make your athleticism by going through different sports, um, whether it be soccer, basketball, football, to your point, track. Um, the more you you know, you can put your body in different positions to have to be athletic. I think the more that um, as the game of baseball speeds up, you will benefit from it. Um, there are very few, you know, the thing I go back to a lot is the, the 60 yard dash. Um, when do you run 60 yards in a straight line in baseball? Like, when do you run 60 Thank yards you. in a straight line Thank in the game you. of baseball? <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> um, so, you know, like training that, or or when do you get a perfect hop from a fungo, you know, in a yeah. major league baseball game? When do you crow hop nine times in the infield, like in the first base, you know? <laughs> Never. So, you know, I think that I think that some of the examples we could just sit here inside. You brought up Smith Schauber. You know, you could sit here and bring up example after example after example of guys who made quick jumps and progressed rapidly um, because they had specialized mm-hmm. in baseball up to that point. And because they trained their bodies in different different ways, then they were able to, once they did get into a specialized environment, 
just close gap after gap after gap and make those quick leaps. Um, and I don't think that's a coincidence. And I think that the, there's actually science-based studies behind it. Um, that you know, the guys, the Tiger Woods of the world are the exception, not the, right. not the rule, who specialize in something at a very young age and become uh, get to the top of the of the game because of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that being able to to do a lot of different things, and I also think that um, you know, to your to your point about um, parents and thinking that their kids need to specialize early. I hope that these new recruiting rules will um, lessen that uh, urgency some mm-hmm. um, on the college side because, you know, for a long time it was – for a long time when I first started scouting, the colleges were on roughly the same calendar we were. Right. And then gradually you started seeing them, you know, not necessarily at the same games you were at, but you'd see them at, you know, the area code underclass. Mm-hmm. Um, or the underclass events, and then gradually, they may be there, but there are they may show up to those events, but they, you know, they're mostly already committed, and gradually they just started creeping younger and younger and younger, and I don't think that, um, again, speaking for myself, yeah. I don't think that's probably was a good thing for the game as a whole. So I'm hoping these new recruiting rules will you know lessen some of that and allow the kids go out and compete as kids in different sports and do different things and let their bodies grow and mature and be athletic in ways that aren't just specialized in throwing a baseball or hitting a baseball yeah i think we've been big proponents of 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 that being a positive is you know slowing that timeline down for the kids you know allowing them theoretically hopefully to focus more on their development as opposed to having to make a decision and go to events based on who they think is going to be there. Because for one, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's confusing. Like it, the, the process and the system isn't fair and it's never going to be when it comes to like, who's getting recruited by who, um, you know, so we, like I said, we've been big proponents of that being a positive thing. Um, so from a, from a pro pro lens, uh, if you were giving advice to kids, you know, because not everybody that you follow is going to end up getting draft signing out of high school, right? So you're going to end up probably talking to quite a few kids that that end up going to college. Um, if from a pro lens, what what would you advise parents and kids and their families to be thinking about when they are choosing a college? You know, I mean, I think you have a wealth of knowledge uh, about different programs and how different programs do certain things. Um, And I'm not asking you to speak specifically about certain programs, but generally, what kind of things would you coach people to look for as they're looking to choose a college for their son or for themselves if it's the kid? Yeah, I would say just fit Um, a place where you fit, a place where you feel comfortable um and you fit you fit in a number of different ways first of all you know if you if playing time is what's important to you go someplace where you are going to be able to get playing time um if culture is important to you if that fit is the most important thing to you then dig on the culture like dig on what the culture is like and if it's playing time dig on who you know, who is there and, and whether you're going to have the ability to to fit in terms of playing time um, or if it's culture, what is the culture there? Um, if it's academics, you know, certainly dig on the academics. Um, so I, I would just say fit in general, but I think that for each player, it's going to be something a little bit different like that right. weightings and, and the push pull will be a little bit different for, for each player. Um you know, I've got a, you know, nephews that have that play, and and I kind of tell them the same thing, and I tell their parents the same thing. That's like, decide what's important to you, and then the school will become, it'll become pretty clear where the best fits are school-wise, right? Program-wise, um, 
but just decide what's important to you first. Like make that calculation before you um, start to dig too far into the into the you know college recruiting part of it. Yeah, and, and then also too, like you know, you brought up the playing time component, and you know, something Drew and I have talked a lot about recently with the portal and things like that is like, in order for guys like you to go out and watch players that want to pursue a pro career, they, they've got to play at some point, you know, like, like I'm sure for you, yeah, that you have to have the context of the competition and the level and, and who they're playing. And yeah, if you go perform in the sec, chances are that's going to get more attention than maybe some other leagues and some mid major leagues and things like that. But if there's a guy that's really performing at a high level and he's got some talent in He's at, you know, UTA or ACU or Sam Houston State compared to Texas, LSU, and AM. You guys are still going to go watch that guy, you know, like, like, like playing time and, and, and getting on the radar and things like that. Like, if you're good, you know, it kind of, I guess, a little, it matters a little bit what competition you're facing, but like, you guys are going to go wherever the players are. Yeah. No, we, we, you know, our funneling process between, you know, certainly in through high school, through, you know, organizations like yours and through the college process and um, the Team USA's and the Capes and the other places, um, they're going to get seen. Like, the players will get seen. The, the, if you're talented, you will get discovered. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if that's what you want to do, if a pro career is what you want, and you need to be able to play. Like you need to be able to get on the field. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't think that maybe maybe it's not like that for every player. Maybe some players academic, like they always wanted a MBA from a certain school or to be able to start their MBA at a certain school. That's crucial nowadays. Like guys can do that. Yeah. So again, I think it changes for each player. But to your question specifically, yes, if pro career is what you want ultimately long term yeah you need to be able to get on the field like you need to be able to fly you need to be able to show what you can do um and that fit may be different for one player than it is another one yeah one thing that's always fascinating me because i've never experienced it but like with this upcoming like what's it like to be in a draft room you know like like all the work's put in, the haze in the barn, but then it's like that time comes where it's, you know, you start making those decisions. Like you said, the pencils are down. Like that 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 clock starts going for the test. It's time to, to answer those questions, you know, over those next three days. And then it's just kind of a whirlwind. And it's like, you know, months and months and months of work kind of culminates to those three days. Like wh what's it like being in a draft room and, and and what's kind of like, can you kind of pull back the curtain as much as you can and, and share with us, you know, what, what that process is like as, as you guys as a scouting staff get in there and, you know, turn all of that hard work and all that research into, into some, some guys you hope are future pirates in the big leagues. Yeah. It's unlike anything I've tried, you know, I get asked this question, occasionally and i've tried to think of a good analogy i just can't think of like i can't think of another business where or industry where you put all 362 days of work in for or even uh, you know to the questions earlier even longer plus, plus, yeah plus yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and it gets all you know it all happens in the course of three days so it's incredibly um special um, there's a certain amount of anxious energy you have, mm -hmm. um, because look, nobody wants to, nobody wants to drive the ball 99 yards down the field and fumble it at the one yard line. Like nobody wants that. To happen. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of, you know, again, special anxious energy. Um, it's always really gratifying and fulfilling when you make that first pick to see um, all that hard work um, get justified I guess mm -hmm. um, realized yeah realized yeah that's a better word and to get it realized and see the see the smiles and the, and the, you know the, 
shaking hands and to, you know, among the group. Um, but then the real work starts because you got, <laughs> yeah. you, got you got 19 or 20 more of them to make. Yeah. Uh, right. And, and that can, you know, to your question, like it happens very slow night one because it's on TV and it's a very mm-hmm. slow, slow process. <laughs> yeah. And made for tv yeah um, yeah definitely. yeah and i'm sure definitely. i'm sure phones are never ringing with people like say like r- rumors and negotiation and all that sort of stuff yeah you got to be able to well, that's one thing i've learned you got to be able to block out the noise because mm-hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of noise um so you've got to be able to filter that out um and that's you know that's sometimes easier said than done um but yeah night one's very slow uh, day two, it starts to move um, more rapidly, but there's still time to, um, you're, you know, you're working the phones, you're working as players go, and, you know, we call it getting our pocket picked. Sometimes you get your pocket picked because you've got a list of, like, three players that, you know, there's four picks in front of you, you got a list of three players that you're looking at, and I've seen all three players go off the board, and then it's, and yeah. that's, it's deflating and it's also like you better have the fourth and fifth one ready to go because (laughs) you got to make a pick um (laughs) so phones are always ringing it's moving fast um and then with the draft rule certainly day two um budget wise has i won't necessarily go into the specifics but budget wise day two plays a critical role Mm -hmm. you need to you need to be airtight on a lot of things Day three, it moves a lot faster um, and, you know, certainly still working the phones, still talking to people, um, you know, the area guys all the way up to our assistant, you know, scouting directors and GMs are all working phones. Um, and then, you know, it moves very quickly on day three. Um, but, yeah, it, it's uh, by the time you're done, it, you, you're ready for you're ready for a nap like you're ready. <laughs> You sleep well that, that next night, that last night. So talking about that, I'm I'm very big and have followed the NFL draft very very closely for several years now. Probably too much. He, he's spent. he's got his own draft board. He he knows he's got his own evaluations. He's in every draft room with this stuff. Yeah. So you know, it, the baseball draft is so different um, because there's. You know, trying to explain to people the phenomenon of the top 10 rounds and how the money works is like probably tougher than explaining calculus to some people. But the other thing that that fascinates me is that it's so different, you know, on the, on the football side, there's a lot more urgency for immediate need. Whereas in baseball, these guys are going into the minor leagues for, you know, hey, maybe it's a, you know, a year or two for a fast track reliever or a fast track college guy, but those guys are the exceptions, right? So, you know, and in the case of a high school kid, it may be four, five, six years before they actually get to the big leagues. How do, how do you go about building a draft board with all of that in mind? You know, it's, it's pretty simple at the top of the NFL draft because most of those teams need a quarterback or you go into it knowing, Hey, this is, this is the hole that I have to fill for my roster next year. Whereas in the ba- in a baseball draft, it's not really that way. How do you go about, you know, starting the process and building a board for when you guys do eventually get in the room on draft day? Yeah, and I think to your to your point, like you're not looking at organizational need whatsoever. Um, you're not even looking at signability, which is a whole other whole other component of it. Um, as you build your board, you're simply looking at the talent, um, the talent. And again, as talent encapsulates a lot, like talent encapsulates the person, the makeup, the, the mental readiness in some cases. Um, but you're putting together the board strictly on, you know, want to have this player ranked here and here's why. Um, and then as we move forward, you know, you can start to build in more of those other aspects such as like signability or, um, or, you know, fit in some cases, like who's a good organizational fit, 
and you know why and who are we going to be able to develop who do we think that presents a development opportunity here um you know that we may see that maybe not every organization sees or or doesn't value the same like who do we value maybe a little bit more in a development opportunity um and those are real real discussions um so not you know not necessarily roster fit to your question but more development opportunity development fit um and some of those some of those um opportunities present themselves as you go Trevor, I know we've we've kept you long enough, so we'll wrap it up here um, shortly with a couple final questions. Yeah. Uh, I think you're probably off to uh, probably make a call about who you guys are going to take number one, so we don't want to get in your way. But uh, are, do you have any, like, is there any stories that really resonate you from your personal experience that kind of encapsulate, like, like what you do as a living, whether it's something that happened in a draft room or something you saw at a game or or a player you picked or maybe, like, kind of your proudest moment where you really went to bat for a guy and it, and it worked out. Like, is there anything that just like, like people ask you, man, like, Hey, like give, give us your story about scouting. Like, is there anything that really, really stands out you can share? Oh man. Um, <laughs> I think the most gratifying ones are the ones where, you know, you see the player graduate to the big Mm-hmm. You get to yeah. you get the call whether it's you know whether it's somebody that you and I think we get too wrapped up a lot in times of who did you sign and who did you like and certainly those are those are you have those personal connections with certain players and as they graduate to the big leagues that's awesome but even like you know others that you meet along the way other players that you meet along the way and other scouts that you meet along the way who have a personal connection, you know, seeing them be, um, seeing all their work, um, realized and vindicated Mm -hmm. seeing how those moments, um, unfold for them is, is, is great. Um, but I think just seeing the players when they, finally do because it's such a hard game and they don't all make it to the big leagues um that when they do like celebrating those moments celebrating those moments um and again whether you you know whether it's somebody i was personally connected with or a teammate that i know has the personal connection seeing the celebrating those is is special yeah 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 because it's kind of it's a fraternity man i mean you guys you guys see each other on the road a bunch from different organizations and things like that i mean it's it's a you know, like you said, 300 and what, 66 days in a leap year. I mean, you guys are out bumping into each other and, and everything else. I got to imagine it's, it's not just gratifying for you. It's gratifying for, you know, when you're area guys and, you know, guys, you've, you know, built relationships in other organizations and stuff like that. Like that, that feeling is just uniquely awesome. I got to imagine. Yeah. To your point, it's definitely a fraternity. You spend so much time together at ballparks um, in the same, you know, in the same walk of life. and um you know it's certainly great when it's a teammate within your organization um to celebrate that um to celebrate that and even if it's you know people outside of your organization uh to shoot them a quick text or a phone call and because you know what people go through you know how hard this job is um how much travel how much time goes into it um and so you want to celebrate you want other people to celebrate all right, one last one before we get you out of here. Drew and I always like to ask our guests, if you, they had NIL back in your playing days, what would be the Trevor Haley dream NIL deal? Like, was would it be like a special type of car? We always go the food route. I always ended up thinking of like buffalo wings or something like that. Like, what what would be your dream NIL scenario um, in, in Indiana, you know, during your playing days? Wow. Well, the school I went to had about 1,100 people, so there weren't going to be a whole lot of options. <laughs> I would say the one I, the one I remember the most, if I could have gotten a gas deal in order to drive my car back and forth from <laughs> from home back and forth, uh, uh, I probably would have gas cards. 
Hey, yeah, well, that's fast cards. That's not I'm far simple. off. You, I'm a simple here, person. Yeah, you're starting to hear some of these uh, some of these NIL deals. People are throwing in like use of a private plane for parents to go back and forth. Like that's <laughs> that that's the new, that's the new one that's been going around this summer. Little so. little different than 1,100 people in Indiana with with, with cars, but you know. Well, we would have had to have had one of those ones with the propellers and the wheel so you could land it in the cornfield. Um, yeah. Outside of the school. Um, that would have been the only way I think that would have worked. There you go. Oh, oh man. Well, Trevor, thanks so much for, for taking the time. And, and thanks so much for being such a long time, you know, friend and, and great resource for Drew and I. I, I know we, we bug you, especially me. Uh, from time to time about players you've seen and what you think and you know I, I I've learned so much from you about evaluating players in baseball and things like that so really appreciate your friendship and, and your time to hop on here and share um, you know what it's like to, to be a regional supervisor and, and a scout I think that's something that a lot of baseball fans kind of think they know about and they probably do generally but it's, it's just such a uniquely fascinating um, career and a lot goes into it so we really appreciate hearing your perspective. No, thank you guys very much. And certainly your friend as well. Um, love, you know, to see you guys doing well and, and out uh, thriving with Five Tool and, um, you know, glad to do it and, and would love to do it again sometime. Absolutely. We might have to, once once you uh, catch up on sleep a little bit after the draft <laughs> um, and we find out when everybody else does, who, who you're taking number one, we might have to catch up. But, yeah. but good luck, best of luck with all that. And, uh, you know, Certainly, uh, I, I know it's going to be fascinating in that draft room when that that clock gets going on that first pick. It's uh, it is unlike anything I can I can think of. <laughs> it's an exciting time. Uh, yeah. Well, for Trevor and Drew, I'm Dust McComas. Thanks for tuning in another episode of the Five Tool Podcast. You can follow us at Five Tool Pod. Until we talk to you all next time, take care.